welcome to Exploring the Marketplace podcast. My co-host is Bob Hassan, and we are creating a conversation with Christian marketplace leaders who have careers that have been impacted by their faith. We are also answering your questions about entrepreneurship, business leadership, careers, and how the kingdom of God changes your impact in the marketplace. Come join the conversation now. Welcome to Exploring the Marketplace. I'm Bob Hassan. Sean, how are you today? I'm so good. I'm really excited about having our guest on today. Oh my gosh, we have Steven Scoggins on. He's an award-winning, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's got a bunch of businesses. He has like seven businesses, Bob. As a matter of fact, he has started the Journey Principles Institute and he hosts the Journey Principles podcast and the creator of Transform You, which is a proprietary process to help people from all walks of life, Christian and non-Christian, level up and catapult forward. And he's been featured in all kinds of notable media outlets, including Forbes and Entrepreneur, Thrive Global, NBC, ABC, and more. So any, I love this guy because he's a family guy. He's married and has kids, but he's going after with seven businesses. He has time to do all of this, which I'd love to ask him about how he time manages because it's so much, but he's so authentic, so vulnerable, which is like our favorite. I mean, like his story is from homelessness to owning owning businesses that are nine figures in total revenue this is going to be an interesting uh interview isn't it yeah so so t- stay tuned with us because we're gonna take a deep dive but before we get there you know before we get to our awesome guest Stephen Scoggins, i want to talk to you bob about one of the things we've been kind of processing a lot with our listeners some of our lives is that our journey in our careers or in the marketplace or business it's different when you're a Christian because it's not as predictable. You can't just say A, B, C, D, or I'm going to climb this ladder and get there. When you're walking with God, there's some level of surrender. There's some level of um, even personal process of how you would choose it. You're going to surrender that and say, God, I want your way, not my way. And this seems to be a theme. We covered in our book, Wired to Hear. This seems to be a theme that's resonating a lot right now with our listening audience because mm-hmm. the world's changing so much that people are asking us a lot of questions about how do I process my journey? Because it's so different than my peers and my field. It's like, I'm, I, and one of the things I always say, Bob, is that if you want a God result, you have to have a God process. But let's talk about this for just a minute, because I know your process, even though you've had this longevity of 46, 47 year career, which is as old as I am. Quit making um, me older. <laughs> maybe older. You know, well, you've had this long career. And, uh, you know, your process, even in how you did it, even though it was a very build upon from one layer to one layer, one level to one level, it still was really God led the whole time. There's times that it would have broken down without him in the process or him leading it. And so each one of us, you know, we're walking through that. What would you say to somebody who's asking about, you know, why is it worth embracing God's process versus, you know, like this seems so crazy. Well, I mean, I can remember I've always been a, a strategy-based person and liked planning. And I I wanted, I always tried to plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I, that's as far as I can go. Um, and, <laughs> and anyway, God always interrupted it. And where I thought, you know, this was the direction I was going, God always had something different. And I had to learn at a very young age to sort of be flexible. And um, it became a really fun thing for Lauren and I to look back at our previous annual strategic plan and say, hey, this is where we thought we were going and this is where God took us. Yeah. And, and so it's, yeah. it's a, it's just a, it's this, I don't want to sound, it's like a faith journey, but you have to have work ethic, determination, grit, all the things to make, to make this happen. And people will come to me and say like, this is my plan. And, you know, I say to them, where's God in it? 
And like, well, what do you mean? It's a strategic plan. And like, well, well, God is the author of this strategic plan if you let him. And if you let him, then you have to be ready and flexible for him to direct your paths a little bit differently. Oh, it's so good. It's funny because when I first uh, did my first business plan, it was when I was working in the video game industry, which I've referred to a couple of times on here. And, and uh, this man began to mentor me and he said, we're going to look at your plans together. And I said, well, one of the things that I see that happens to me is I constantly feel like there's divine interruptions from God that are hard because there's, it's a reshuffling of employees. It's a shuffling of contractors and contracts. It's like, I hate that. Like, I hate how much interruption there seems to be. And he goes, well, there's interruption because you haven't learned how to really listen yet. So God has to interrupt what you're planning with his plan. So it feels disruptive, but the better you walk with him or the more you are connected to him, the less it will feel disruptive or interruptive. It's going to feel more connected. And so it's really your maturity levels low. And I was like, and I hated that he said it, of course, right? right? I mean, he's in his fifties. I was in my twenties. I'm like, how dare you? You know, like you old man. (laughs) But it was so true because as I've walked in life, there's still a lot of adaptive energy Christians have to use because God loves surprises. He loves, mm-hmm. he loves to not be predictable. He loves to bring the miraculous, the options that are on the table. That's true. But there's a lot in our planning that if like what you just did with several of the people I've heard you do it with, which is, okay, how do we bring God into the strategic plan? Is he authoring it? Or is it just, this is the best of your skill, talent, ability to bring this, you know, and passion and, or is God authoring this, you know? Yeah. And, and when people see that, it's like, I think it's, it's so beautiful when, you're you're still going forward. It doesn't mean you're disrupted from your plan. It just means that there's happy interruptions versus I have to change everything all the time because I keep planning my own in my own strength versus God's strength. Yeah, I think for those of us who are strategic minded, like you are, like I am, like a lot of people I know are, we have to learn how to let God in. And I think there's a lot of people that I know that are heavenly minded or the kingdom of heaven minded. And they have to sort of come back to an intersection where strategy can play a part in it with God. So it's it's like two people coming at it from different directions. Um, totally. And I think people who um, are looking for that God process, one of the things that they're afraid of, if they're like a real strategic person, is they're afraid of that they won't produce as much fruit or that they'll just go into what, you know, like a wilderness of seven years of waiting and suffering before anything good happens. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about the whole time you're embracing God's process for you, it's productive. And it's not, you know, a demotion, it's a promotion, but it will be different than maybe you planned. Well, I like how you said it in in the beginning of this, you called it a divine interruption yeah, or a divine intervention, I think you said. Um, I can't remember that far back. And I think that's the <laughs> truth. And I, I love how you said that. So, hey, up next, we've got Stephen Scoggins and we're going to have some great questions with him. Stay tuned. Hey, my fellow explorers. We have a brand new book out, and if you've ever been given a word that you're a Joseph, an Esther, a Solomon, or a Daniel, you need to learn how to hear God the way that they did. You need to have that place inside of you that connects to God, that can believe for His solutions on the world today, and for His problem-solving ability, His wisdom, His strategy. And so we've written this book called Wired to Hear, and it's connecting God's voice to your career and place of influence. You are going to love this book. I want to encourage you to get it today. My friend Bob Hassan, who does Exploring the Marketplace with me and myself, wrote this to take you on a journey of how to succeed in your place of career with God's voice and with connection to Him. Visit Bowles Ministries today and look up Wired to Hear or go to any bookstore you know and you should be able to find Wired to Hear. But get it, review it, and share it with someone else. 
Well, Sean, here we are with Stephen Scoggins. How exciting is this? I'm so happy, Stephen. It's so good to see you here yeah. in our podcast. For those of you who are watching it visually, and uh, Stephen, just with your background, we met you at an event that we did a year, uh, two two years ago or so. Almost it's been a little while. Yeah. And uh, and it was just so good meeting you. And then we followed up since then. And I know you had a talk with Bob and connected to Bob and you and I have connected. And I'm so excited to present your story to our audience because this is a story-based podcast where we really share people who are walking the marketplace or mm -hmm. business or in the kingdom, how they're doing it in their career. And you're not only doing it, but you're inspiring others to do it too. But where did this all start for you? Like, how did you get on this journey? <laughs> well, it's a long story. Um, for the sake of time, I'll, I'll just share that, uh, you know, I think I grew up on, in, like a lot of Americans in, in, the, in the public, unfortunately, nowadays in, in a broken home, like mother and father, um, yeah. serious issues. Uh, father dealt with alcohol, mother dealt with mental uh, trauma. Late, raised with my, you know, grandmother for a while. Uh, nine years old, she comes to me. I literally have a GI Joe in one hand and then a transform in the other and says, I need your help. I need your help. And as I'm walking through things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being taught very quickly to, to take care of her who's, you know, she had gotten diagnosed with cancer. And that kind of started what I refer to as a, a train wreck, if you will, of suffering or what felt like suffering so much so that it, gosh, it took me about five years, probably before, well, not five years, it was probably a good 15 years before I was actually ready to receive Jesus because I was so angry at God. Wow. I was just completely taken back. So, you know, for anybody out there who's, who's maybe struggling in a situation where maybe, you know, you're going through some circumstances, I promise you there's, there's redemption on the other side as well as hope for sure. Yeah. Well, in, in that story with your grandma and then um, kind of going from there, you met Jesus. Mm -hmm. How did you know you were going to go after business? Like, was that something that it felt like just as natural to you or is it something that God pointed in the direction? Well, for me, I think for me, it was out of necessity. You know, I mm -hmm. was, I grew up in an environment where we had a poverty mentality. I very fortunately, very, uh, was very fortunate to have a guy by the name of Steve Meyer, who was my father's employer. I see something me, in me when I was a teenager and I was working on a construction crew, framing houses, doing some stuff like that, and would pull me down off his, his crew and <clears throat> off the crew, put me in his Jeep Grand Cherokee, and <laughs> he proceeded to teach me and wow. mentor me. And what I didn't know at the time was, is he had actually used to work for my grandfather, and he had watched my grandfather basically lose it all. He had watched mm -hmm. my father kind of go through a, a season of losing it all and never really getting that restoration only to end up employing both of them. And then when he, by the time he got to me, I guess he saw something in me. Basically he was the first person to believe in me before I ever believed in myself. Wow. wow. And you know, it, it was an interesting time because, you know, on one hand I had suffering, but on the other hand I had mentoring that was happening simultaneously. And I think a lot of time we get stuck on, well, we're suffering over here, but we're actually, God has already put people in our, in our circumference, if you will, that can actually teach us yeah. and mentor us along the way. And as I was kind of going, going through things, um, you know, I, I continued to get angry and angrier at God so much so that, um, eventually my family was struggling so bad that I went ahead and dropped out of high school to help them pay the bills. Wow. Steve wow. gave me a shot on his, his construction crew. And again, I'm, I'm late teens at this stage in the game and he proceeds to <clears throat> mentor me more, puts me in the business for myself. Like literally buys me all the tools, all the equipment, everything I could possibly need. What he didn't teach me or what I didn't have in my possession at that time was a high level of character. Hmm. I was yeah. still very much an orphan and kind of in that poverty mindset. It's so interesting, Stephen, because I share some of the same stories you do coming from a broken home, but then having people, uh, uh, my uncle primarily mentor me and believe in me when I didn't believe in myself. And I love what you said about 
starting in business was uh, basically out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And could you explain a little bit to our listeners what that means? Because what we hear a lot is like, uh, well, I'm not passionate or I want to find something I'm passionate about. And did that play into any of this decision or was it simply like, hey, this is necessity? For me, it was flat out necessity. I mean, essentially, uh, when Steve Mark put me in a business for myself, <clears throat> here's exactly what happened. Um, I'm a 19 year old, nothing, no nothing kid about to turn 20. And I did what most poverty minded mindset people who had a low insecure self-worth did. I went out and got super braggadocious. <laughs> so I, I made it rain all around me. I bought the, you know, the sport <laughs> car and, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't have any intelligence as it related to financial stewardship. I didn't understand biblical principles on stewardship. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really honor anybody, not the way I, I would do now. Um, yeah. And ended up basically putting myself out of pride and arrogance and just foolishness. Um, you know, what, what does God do when you've been on a high horse of pride for so long? He sends you a little humil humility check. Uh -huh. And uh, out of a toxic relationship, I proceeded to lose everything, mm, like everything. Wow. Um, sleeping uh, outside as needed, sleeping on couches, couch surfing, sleeping in cars. Um, so when I say necessity, I legitimately mean necessity. Like survival mode necessity. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that just that season of like you're going around and you you define it as I didn't have the character yet. But at the same time, your environment wasn't an environment where you were learning a lot of character either. Mm -hmm. It's not like you were in a place where you were grounded in relationships that are your nuclear family or core family that really helps those things. And so it's it's amazing that you went from that season of like, you know, homelessness, as you call it, to mm -hmm what was the the building process after that? Like, what was the awakening? What was the thing that the catalyst? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because my, my catalyst moment was overlooking a, an overpass. And unfortunately that's a pretty lengthy story, but essentially what had happened was, is I made five phone calls with a broken Nokia 5160 phone that my grandmother had given me. And on my very last phone call, right before I was about to end my life, my high school girlfriend's mother picked up the phone. Wow in a very raspy cigarette voice, you know, like she was like, I'm coming to get you. And I'm like, no, you're not. She's like, no, I'm coming to get you. And that went back and forth for a while. And I refused to tell her where I was at or what was going on. Um, she just instinctively knew it's, that's, that's what I call the rescue of an angel, yeah. right? You know, God using a relationship or something around you to, to reach out to you when, when you're about to do something really foolish. I was going through that whole cartoon moment where you've got a devil on one shoulder and, and an yeah. angel on the other. One of the interesting things I picked up on that, and this is something I think could, could resonate with a lot of folks, the devil, from my perspective, or evil or Satan, or however you want to perceive it, is always shouting. It's always yelling about your insecurities and all the things that you're not going to be, who you're not going to be, where the angel in that case was whispering. And then she gave me 11 words that literally changed my life. That turned out to be the first prophetic word that I'd actually ever heard. And here's, here's what, wow. what it was. She said, this too shall pass. And what comes next will be greater. Wow. Wow. Now, I had no idea what that what that really, really meant. No idea what that meant. And a few weeks later, not even a few weeks later, about a week later, I found myself kneeling in front of a litter box, trying to clean a litter box and uh, to earn 50 bucks for my little brother who was living in a home that I had to vacate because he could pay the bill and I couldn't. And in that moment, um, I went through this process of the, the scoop breaking, trash bags tearing all this kind of stuff of this litter box and i got so angry that i began i literally threw down everything in my hands i began yelling at the top of the ceiling at god 
you know, basically blaming him for all my suffering, all of the foolishness, all the, all the anger, everything. Now, here's the crazy part about that. Up until that moment, I had spent five years as a very, very committed atheist hmm. because I could not understand for the life of me why on earth there would be a God if I was going to suffer that way. Now I know why. Now I know what he was, had. at least I have an idea about what he was building and where he was taking me as a whole. Um, but I uttered these words and it changed my life. I still have some white marks on my chin. Like in the, when my, my little beard grows out, it's, it's still there. And I said, if you're so blankety blank real, why don't you prove to me you're so blankety blank real? And I kid you not, I was, I was on my knees pinned to the floor and all I heard was a slight whisper. Are you ready to surrender? Wow. So as I went through that whole scenario, I was going through that and what do you do when you're pinned to the floor? I mean, when you can't move, when you know, like when you challenge God and God actually shows Just up. Like he came in his presence and challenged you back. But you, did you know at that time, like you're good, your nature is good. Or were you just like, I don't I, even know who you are. I think I was trying to figure it out. I think in my, in my heart of hearts, I always wanted to be good to other people. I was yeah. always, you know, from the time of nine years old, I'd always kind of been that caretaker mentality. You know, so I wanted, I, I knew I wanted to be good. I wasn't intentionally going out and getting in, getting involved in things on a intentional basis. I would find myself yeah. in bad situations because of bad circumference of friends and, mm -hmm. you know, and family members and stuff. And I just knew that I was exhausted. Yeah, I was utterly exhausted. And I knew something had to change. And when I had a presence like that, like I, I it still gives me gooseys. Like I, yeah. I, I can't even think, you know, I can't even think straight half the time. And two weeks later, um, I was invited back on Steve's framing crew as a laborer. He would go around the block. I would go and hide around the house every time he would come around the block because I was ashamed and I was guilty and everything. And, and lo and behold, as I'm going through this, um, going through this scenario, um, my dad sends me next door to go reframe a garage door. And for the listeners who don't know what that is, the goal post or the, the frame that actually holds the door in place. And as I'm doing that, I'm overhearing the guys that took over for me who Steve had sold them all the equipment, all the trucks, everything. And they're talking crazy bad about Steve. They're like, he doesn't pay. He doesn't do this. And then I know Bob and I are in similar industries and, and, you know, he knows what a draw schedule is, but for the listeners, you know, if you, if you have a $10,000 project and you're 50% done, you can withdraw, you know, $5,000 cause you're 50% done. Well, these guys were 70% drawn on a 30% completed house. Right. Mm -hmm. I was irate. I was mad. Um, I didn't say a word to them, but I walked, as I was walking back next door to the house, I actually heard in my spirit, isn't that what you did? Oh, wow. And it caused me to start to weep a little bit, but it also gave me the courage that, that I refer to as now the burning bush, if you will, in my spirit. Like I'd never actually felt been on fire in my core before. Right. And out of that, we're about to knock off for the day. And, and my dad comes over and you know, he's getting the paychecks because we used to pick up the paychecks at two o'clock because back in the day you would, you know, knock off at two o'clock, have an early weekend pop smiling because he knows. <laughs> and um, he saw me walking. I was walking past him and he was like, almost like, where are you going, boy? I knocked on Steve's window. He rolled down the window out of grace and just said, hey, how's your head now, boy? And of course, he had a big southern draw. And um, I said, you know, I'm getting better. He said, good. And he goes, what can I do you for? And I proceeded to tell him about all the things that the guys had said and da, 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 da. And I asked him, I said, can I take back over for him? He laughed at me. I was like, what are you talking about? 
first of all, you have no tools. You got no, you got uh, no people. You've got no insurance, no truck, no equipment, no nothing. <laughs> he goes, what do you think? And I'm, I'm literally standing in front of him wearing a Lowe's nail apron, which, you know, for, right. again, for those who aren't in construction, it's basically a, a paper pouch. Right. And he's looking at me and he's like, I, boy, I just, you know, I sold them everything. I, I don't know if I can trust you like that again. Mm. And I said, if you'll just give me a chance, you don't owe me one, but if you, if you, if you take a chance on me, I'll do something with it. I promise. Lo and behold, as he rolls up, as he kind of like, he kind of like sits back in his chair, kind of, and then like, he's like, okay, boy, I tell you what, if they don't come back Monday, by 9 a.m., by 9 a.m. on Monday, I tell you what, I'll let you finish that house. We'll go from there. I said, done. His smile real big with his pearly white dentures and I shook his hand and he rolled up his window <laughs> and, I, and I walked across and my dad is coming the other way and he's mad. He's like, I just got you back on this framing crew. What are you thinking? Oh my God. Oh, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, and I exploded. I was like, this is something I have to do. Like this is, this is, this, this moment in time was bigger than me by mm. a long shot. And for the first time in my life, my father showed up. He walked over to the beat up work van that Steve technically owned, opened the back door and began pulling out these massive heavy nail guns from back in the day and the saws. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, do you remember what working with me during the summer? He's like, yeah. Okay. What do you remember what we made the ladders out of? I'm like, yeah. Wood. What do you remember? How about walk boards? Wood. Pump jack poles? Wood. Mm -hmm. We start rattling off. Cut tables? Wood. Saw benches? Wood. He goes, all right, boys, start pulling trash out of the trash piles. I, I, can't, I was hoping you were going to tell the story. You know, the interesting thing, Stephen, is I hear, I hear God all through the speaking to you. Uh, you came from being an atheist and God speaking to you. He pins you to the floor. He's speaking to you. He gives you prophetic word when you're on the bridge. Um, he's, your father figure, Stephen, um, says, if this happens, did you? how did you develop hearing God's voice like this? And Wait, I, I didn't get to hear the rest of the story, Bob. I yeah, got to yeah, hear yeah. the rest of the story. <laughs> I know. I want, I want you to know hear the that story. Too. I don't know it. So your yeah. dad showed up. Yeah. And he, you guys put all of the way. Did you start working on that house early? Is that what was going on? Yeah. So I basically spent the entire weekend and all the money that I'd made, which was about 170 bucks. Um, for the week that I worked prior, um, basically building all the tools that I would need, not knowing that these guys were going to show up on Monday. So that's my, that was my total first step of faith after finding my faith, after meeting Jesus, after wow. understanding something's bigger than myself. And as that actually happened, lo and behold, Monday morning, I'm sitting on the curb at 6.30 a.m. Steve rolls up about 6, 6.45. And I, you know, he rolls his window and says, what you doing? I said, well, I'm ready to go. Can I go yet? Because it's not 9 o'clock yet. Okay, fine. He rolls off. I'm sitting on, I'm still sitting on the curb. He just keeps going. I'm sitting there for an hour. 8.30 rolls by, right? Comes back around. I said, can I go yet? He goes, boy, it's not, it's not 9 o'clock yet. He comes back around at roughly 9.02, rolls down his window and goes, boy, what you waiting on? <laughs> That's awesome. And That's so uh, awesome. lo and behold, um, that, that faith, that, that trust, that first thing with God is what became the first of now seven businesses. Mm -hmm. That business alone does well into the eight figures of top line revenue on an annual basis. I employ hundreds of team members across three states. Wow. And all to an ADHD, dyslexic kid, high school dropout. And there's no other way to describe that but God. I think what we lost because I interrupted was Stephen built all the tools out of wood, ladders, frames, 
That's who's great. He went to a trash pile and built all these tools so that he could frame this house. When I mean, this is wild. I love I that story. Like Bob, right when right when you asked the question, I was like, "No way!" But I think yeah, sure our listeners were <laughs> too. Like, wait, yeah. no. But I'm so glad you asked the question because there is something in the sense of you were born into walking with God, trusting your gut, trusting that He was talking, trusting that there's moments of faith. And so I like what you were asking, Bob, which was how do you, how do you hear from God or how do you have those moments or like can you define some of that? Well, the, the easiest way to explain that is is when I was 13. So I, I got baptized when I was nine. Okay. I thought I knew what that meant. I really didn't. Suffering began to take shape. But at 13 years old, I was in the trailer park and I walked down to the, the swing set area. And again, not knowing if God was real or not real, I knelt down and I asked and I asked God the, basically this question. Please let me be the one to break the family curse. Not even wow. knowing what those words really mean. Oh my gosh, 13 years old. I get up. Of course, I don't hear from, I don't instinctively know I'm hearing from God. But if you look back from 13 years old all the way past the bridge, there was these, there was these various urgings and nudgings, no matter how diligently I was trying to walk away from God, he was still pursuing me. Yeah. So here's, here's, here's how that shakes out. I did an ancestry DNA thing a number of years ago and followed the, you know, went down the long rabbit trail that that can take you on. Discovered that in 500 years of Scoggins that I can actually follow, not one single person, not one single Scoggins has been a person of influence, has been a person of wealth stewardship, and has been a person of impact. They've all been impoverished and have all been in a, an wow. area of lack. So talk about God answering a prayer. So I began to hear from God when I finally understood that it was him talking to me to begin with. I finally began to resonate with that, that fire in the belly, right? Yeah. So that, that becomes like the first thing, you know, the, the first time of him speaking to me is him actually speaking to me at the litter box where that was in my, in my heart of hearts, it was audible to me, but maybe it was said in my head. I, however, you know, but I heard it. I heard words, articulated words. Since then, it comes up in a couple of different ways. One of the things that God does with me when, when I'm about to go on stage and speak is I know he's with me because I get emotional. Now, don't laugh. All right. I'm not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I say that, I, I'll get teary for just a second. I know he's there. I thank him that he's there. And then I, I go out and present. So those are some of the ways in which he communicates to me that I feel him. Other ways are uh, words of knowledge or words of wisdom things that I can't come up yeah. with on my own words of revelation. Um, I've had several instances. I've actually learned a ton from you, Sean, when it comes to understanding, hearing God's voice. I mean, a ton. I've been following your career for a I long time. That. And uh, it's really helped me redefine and hear him clearly. But, you know, those are the types of things that I see on a regular basis that he talks to me with specifically. Wow. Well, just in, in the context of where you're at now, you, you know, having seven businesses, you decided to leverage a lot of, just your own personal gain and help other people. And so you ended up buying an event center um, shortly. Was it shortly before COVID? It was actually, uh, well, about a year and a half before COVID. So yeah, shortly, shortly in details. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so you start to develop that. And uh, then you've, you've also been developing just your message and the brand that God's called you to do to help equip people. Kind of talk about that journey as far as mm -hmm. actually going from, I'm going to be a businessman. And, you know, cause a lot of people who are as successful as you, they find ministries are supposed to, you know, partner with and like go on that journey with, or they find significance in some of the transformation efforts and maybe justice or kingdom justice or missions or social justice. 
but I'm sure you do a lot of that kind of stuff too, but there's something that you really felt like God was saying, no, be a voice. And to come from, like you said, dyslexia, you know, ADHD, homelessness, broken family, to have the success you've had, but say, and and then the 500 years of Scoggins, to say, we're actually not only going to break this for my generation, I'm going to go after it for other people's generation, both saved and unsaved. I want to hear why. Like, I want to hear, I love that so much. Well, for me, and this, again, this is true for me, you know, there's a, there's this moment where the vast majority of the American population, which is where we spend a lot of our time is obviously they're, they're searching for purpose Mm -hmm. and they're searching for purpose and outside um, systems or outside ideas or outside identities. Mm -hmm. And I discovered that one of the greatest purposes you'll ever have in your life is serving the person you used to be. What I didn't know fully understand fully is that Steve Myrick grew up like I grew up. I didn't learn that till I began writing my first book a number of years ago. And then I went to go actually, you know, one of my writers went to go actually go talk to his wife who was still living after Steve passed away. And she got his, the question was, is why, why did, why did he help Steven? And he says, because he saw a little bit of something in himself in me. Mm, wow. So if you think about it, Sean, you, you know, I've actually, um, uh, you sent me an article not long, not too terribly long ago when I, because I heard you speak and say about, you know, the Christian body, the, the body of the church has enough financial resources to fix most of the world, if not all the world's major issues. Yeah. And that really stuck with me as a result, because when I got, when I began thinking about it, we as a group of people and believers were begging God all the time to answer a problem, solve a need or whatever. And in doing so, one of the things that happens along the way is, or one of the things I've discovered is, there's this element of basically you are going through the various levels of suffering that you have because that creates the compassion and the empathy to reach out to a younger generation. Hmm. So if I can help a Steven Scoggins five years ahead, 10 years ahead, three years ahead from my own journey, not only does my life have immense meaning, but I'm also creating a legacy long-term that will outlive me. You know, if you think about it, Steve Myrick, for example, he poured into me, the only reason people even know his name now is because I talk about him all the time. Right. Right. Wow. He created a legacy that, that reminds me a lot of Bob because Bob has a couple people he talks about that. I feel like yeah. they're so present with him mm-hmm. that I feel like I know them. Like, I feel like I'm connected to them and I've never met them. Yeah. Oh, I met one of the three of them. So it's like, it's just so cool. Like, you know, like that feeling of like people feel like they know Bob who are my friends and family because I talk about Bob all the time. So I love that what you're saying, because it is, I think in heaven, honestly, and I, I don't want to take it too far and, and distract, but I think in heaven, Jesus is going to look at us and we think of it as just our core family and our mom and our dad and whatever. We're all sitting at the table together, but it's actually like the people who shared legacy and, and created longevity together and kingdom purpose. It's like, there's a reward in that. That's so special. And when God says, I'm doling out fruit, like here's all your fruit, Stephen Scoggins, he goes, and yeah. here's, the same amount for you, Stephen, you know, if he went to heaven, he was a believer. Here's the same amount to you to the Steve guy who poured into your life. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's inheriting everything you've inherited. And I don't think we understand that when we pour out that we're, we're creating something that no natural resource could create. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, my grandfather, uh, you know, it's funny, it, God, you know, at the more and more I talk to you guys, the more and more I realize how much God really pursued me and how much, how grateful <laughs> I am for that. Um, my grandfather from the time I was born referred to me as his little soul winner all the way wow. to when he passed away wow. in 2016. And that includes the five years as an atheist. And what he would do is I would come in and I would challenge him with elephants and monkeys and bing bang and all these different things. Cause I'll, you know, he goes, 
He goes, dig a little deeper, dig a little deeper. Wow. And I would go, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, Stephen, you're only searching after answers you want. And that hung with me and stuck with me. <laughs> Stephen, so Stephen, good. we need to do another episode. We're running out of time. And I'm so, I mean, Sean, let's go for another 25 minutes. <laughs> I know, exactly. We need, we need part two, yeah, Stephen. So let's part schedule two. part two. But tell us. But so far, how do people get a hold of your materials and how do people get a hold of your university? Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do right now is just to visit stephenscoggins.com. There's a whole host of uh, resources there. Um, that people can take advantage of right now. And if they want to uh, come and do something live with me, come and join me at Transfer Me Live. That's so awesome. Thanks for being on today. Thanks for listening to the Exploring the Marketplace podcast, part of the Exploring Podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing or even rating and reviewing so that more people can connect to us. Also, we'd love to be part of your spiritual journey. And we have amazing resources at our website, www.bowlsministries.com, B-O-L-Z ministries.com, including other free media, TV shows, books, and even an ongoing mentoring online platform. See you there.